0: Good morning, could we have all the kids come down to the front? (gasps) (laughs) For those of you who may not realize, my child has yet to learn his inside voice, so I apologize in advance. (laughs) Well, how are we doing this morning? Good? I have a question for you. Do you remember what it was like to be a baby? You remember? Oh, I don't. <laughs> come on, come sit down. Okay. You want me to hold you? Okay. So when you were a baby, did you have to drink milk? Yeah. Yeah? Were you able to eat regular food yet? No. Because you didn't have any teeth. teeth. And then that happens later again when you get older too. (laughs) But I have a story for you. Have you ever heard of a guy named Nicodemus? Okay. So Nicodemus was this old preacher. And he was watching Jesus. And he thought Jesus was really special. But... Nicodemus was really afraid of what his friends would think if he went and talked to Jesus in the daylight. So, guess what he did? Talk to he, Jesus. he met with Jesus at nighttime because he was scared. Have you ever been out at night? Yeah, is it super dark? Is it yeah. yeah, so Nicodemus was basically like a ninja. Where's, he went out and he met with Jesus in secret and he was talking to Jesus and he wanted to know she's not here she wanted to know about God and about what Jesus was doing in God's kingdom and you know what Jesus said if you're gonna be my disciple you have to be born again can you tell me what being born again means does that mean you have to be a baby again it means you have to be a baby again That's what Nicodemus thought. What is that? That's a microphone. That's a microphone? So Nicodemus thought that you would have to be a baby again and go back inside your mom's tummy. And Jesus is like, no, that's not what that means. That's not what that means at all. He says, if you want to be born again, all you have to do is believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he saved you. And if you do that, He says that he'll make you brand new on the inside like a baby. And then you can be one of God's disciples too. So today, if you want to follow Jesus, that's all you have to do too. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and ask him to come into your heart and then you'll be born again too. Okay? Got any questions? No? Okay, go get your prize. (laughs) You want one? Okay. Okay, go sit with mom. Grab a prize. Good job. <laughs> well, it's great to be here with you again this morning. Uh, I'm I'm really very honored that you guys have invited me back, and I'm very happy to again, be bringing the word of the Lord this morning. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into it. Jesus, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you that you are here. I thank you that your word says where two or more gather in your name, that you are here among us. And so, God, we thank you for your presence, and we ask that you would make your presence known. We ask that you would uh, soften our hearts Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to see what you are doing in your kingdom and help us to act on it. Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Have any of you ever had any experience with a coal mine? When I was traveling with my grandparents once, we got to go on a trip and, and got to go see an old coal mine and got to see how far down it went and how um, just completely black it was, not just from the darkness, but from the coal itself that was just stuck to the walls, all the dust. Because this was an old one, this was not one of those, those new nice ones. And what I learned when I went to this coal mine is that when uh, miners used to go down, they used to always bring a canary with them. Have you heard this before? And they would take a canary down to the bottom of the mine with them and they would watch that canary very carefully because if that canary started to cough or if that canary fell over and died, those miners knew that there was no more air left and they had just minutes to get out of the mine or they would die. And those miners knew that if they tried to stay in that mine and keep mining, Even though they wanted their needs met, they needed that coal to make money so they could provide for their families. But they knew that if they stayed, that they were going to die. They knew what their real need was, and that real need was air, because they can live without money for a minute, they can live without working, but they cannot live without air for very long. And that is the key to what we're talking about this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them to John chapter 6. Our passage this morning is almost a a lengthy one, and so we can't really do it justice this morning, but what I hope to do is give us a great overview of what Jesus is talking about in chapter 6, starting in verse 22. We're going to start in verse 22, and we're going to read all the way down to verse 40, and then we're going to pray again, and we'll go. So if you're there, read along with me. What must me do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Let's pray. Father, as we continue in worship with the hearing of your word, we ask that you would do a miracle. We ask that your spirit would move in us and that you would change us by your word this morning. Father, I ask that you would help me to preach well, and you would remove all distraction from us and help us focus in on your word. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. So Jesus, just to set the scene for you, the day before we get to our passage, went up on a hill and he fed 5,000 people, which was probably more like 15,000 if you count all the women and children, from five loaves of bread and two fish. And all these people are following him because before that he'd been healing the sick people and they were seeing that Jesus was doing all these amazing miracles and they knew that God was doing something. And so when they saw Jesus feed the 5,000, they declared that he was a prophet, like Elijah. And they wanted to immediately make him king. They wanted him to come and conquer the Roman Empire and establish Israel again as a kingdom, just like in the time of King David. And yet Jesus rejected that, and he went away up on a hill away from them. And the next day, after his disciples go on to Capernaum on the boat, he walks across the water and meets his disciples on the other side. And this is the next morning. And we see that in verses 22 and 23. That's where John picks up this scene. He says that they have followed him. They realize the disciples have gone away. And so they they go into the boats. They go across the lake. And they find Jesus, we'll see later in the passage, they actually find Jesus in synagogue. He's at church. And they're asking Jesus these questions. And they're coming to him because they've seen these miracles and they want to see more. But when Jesus comes to them, or when they come to Jesus, and they ask him how he got there in verse 24 or 25, they say, Rabbi, how did you get here? He answers them and he doesn't actually answer their question. Have you ever noticed that when you read this? He doesn't answer their question at all. He actually answers their motivation behind coming after them. He says, "Truly, truly I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you saw or you ate the loaves." And our main point for this morning that I want us to get across is this. That Jesus is calling his audience and us to recognize who he is and believe in him. That's the call this morning. So he addresses what the, uh, the crowd's motivation is. And he says they, they wanted the loaves. They wanted to be fed again. They wanted to see all these miraculous things happen, but they didn't get the point of the sign. And one thing that I've seen over and over and over again in this passage is that the audience, this crowd of people, is so forgetful. And I really identify with that because I'm so forgetful too. I don't know about you guys. But sometimes I have lapses of memory, and thankfully my wife is there to kind of keep track of everything for me. I don't know. I would probably like... Just be walking into walls spouting Bible verses if it wasn't for her. And that's it. That's really all I'm good for. She's the one that really takes care of everything. But this, this group is so forgetful and they're so distracted. And if we look uh, in, this, in this passage, verse 25, Jesus is calling them out. Or verse 26, rather. He calls them out and he says, you guys are here not because you understood the sign, but because you want more of the stuff. They want their needs met, but it's the wrong needs. They are selfish. They're focused on themselves. They want their physical needs met, but they don't realize what their true needs actually are. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Uh, I I remember that one time um, I was at the store and I really thought that I needed this particular parking spot. And so so I'm going through the parking lot and I'm gunning it to get to this spot because it's super crowded and I want to get in there. And I missed it. And I was so angry. But in God's providence, what ended up happening is I ended up parking next to my friend and I got to, to hang out with my friend and, and, and meet him, um, which I would not have been able to do had I been able to park in that spot. God provided a way and he gave us that opportunity. He knew what my real need was and that was a friend in that moment, not the spot. But these people are selfish. They're focused on themselves. They only see what they can get out of Jesus. They're treating him like a vending machine. They know that if they can come to him, that he can probably make more food appear, that he can probably heal more sickness, that he can probably do all the things they want out of him to give them the lives that they want out of him from what he's done. And it's reminiscent of what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, if you want to flip there real quick. He says this, Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. See, the crowd saw the sign, but they missed the point because they're so focused on themselves. So then we look at verse 27, back in our passage. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And so Jesus is directing them to what will last. He's trying to get the crowd to understand, look, the food is not the point. The food is supposed to point to something, but they miss it. Um, I am not very good at driving in the Metroplex. Are, Are you guys? I always get really confused right as I get to I-30 and there's like 30 signs up there and there's like 10 lanes. And if you miss that lane, you're, you're boned. Like you, you got another 30 minutes added onto your trip because you missed that one turn. And so often, I'm so thankful for GPS now because I tried it once without it, it was awful. But I get there and I'm looking at the sign and I can read what it says, but I have no idea where it's pointing me. I have no idea which lane it's supposed to go in. And that's kind of what's happening here. They've seen all this stuff, but they have no idea what it's pointing to. They have no idea what the signs are actually trying to say about who Jesus is. And Jesus is trying to push them there. He's saying, look, this food is going to perish. This bread and fish that I gave you yesterday, that's not the point. That's going to fill your belly for a day, but you need to have what's eternal. And so he says... which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So he's saying that I am the one who can provide this. And this seal that God is giving me is this proof of authenticity that we have uh, as His, uh, as, that Jesus has as God's Son. So he is the authentic person who can come and give this eternal food to them. And so we continue in verse 28. They said to him, what must me do to be doing the works of God? And this is really kind of a natural question. And this is something that I really identify with, and I think we can too. Often when we hear about doing the work of God, we immediately want to hear what we're supposed to do. We're a a people, especially in America, who are very action-oriented. And these people are the same way. They want action steps. They want to hear, like, well, if we're going to be doing the work of God, what is it that we need to do? What is it that we need to contribute? What is it that we need to earn in order to get there? And Jesus surprises them in the next uh, verse, verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Has nothing to do with what they can do. Has everything to do with belief. Belief. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that grates against me because I really want to be able to do something. I really want to be able to contribute something. I hate when I'm powerless and I can't do anything to affect my own situation. I really want to have the ability to to make a change in my own life. But Jesus says, no, that's not a possibility at all. No, the only thing that you can do in order to do the work of the Lord is believe in him. It's not about doing, it's about believing and trusting that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the real son of man who's authenticated as the son of God who can bring about this change in their life and provide this eternal food for them. So then we get to the next verse, verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? That's so tragic that they would say that. Remember, back in verse two, they're following Jesus because they saw signs, because they saw that he was healing all these people. They're following Jesus because he just fed 5,000 people with bread and two fish. And now they're coming to Jesus again saying, what will you do to prove that we can believe in you? How forgetful these people are. And I want us to be careful here because often when we're reading scripture, we can often think like, oh, well, you know, if I was there, I definitely wouldn't think that way. I do that often when uh, I read the Old Testament and I read about how messed up Israel was and how, how forgetful they were as a people. Like, well, no, if, if I was there, I, I definitely wouldn't follow after these idols. I would stay righteous. But really, Israel is just like you and I. And this crowd is just like you and I. You and I are the most forgetful people we know because we forgot everybody else. We are extremely forgetful. And I don't know about you, but I need to hear the gospel daily. Would it, be, would it work for you if you heard the gospel one time and that's it and you never needed to hear it again? I mean, like we know it intellectually, but I'm talking about knowing it in your heart and believing it. We're so forgetful. I forget often that God loves me. And when I forget, I run after other things to try to fill that need that I have in my heart. I forget what God has done for me and that he has finished the work of salvation on the cross. And when I forget, I run after and I try to earn it for myself. And daily, I have to sit down and again, remind myself of what God has done and what he's doing for me. What he's already accomplished because I am forgetful and we are just like these people. We are like the people who say, what work do you perform, Lord? I know that yesterday you showed me that you loved me, but what are you going to do today to prove it? I know yesterday you showed me that you died on the cross for me, but what are you going to do today to prove it? We do the same thing, whether we want to believe it or not. And so they say, what work do you perform? What sign are you going to do? And then I mentioned this in verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. We have given them, or he gave them bread to eat from heaven. And this is even more tragic. They're not only asking for a sign, but they're asking for the sign he just did yesterday. And they forgot. They'd forgotten. They saw the sign. They missed what it pointed to. And they asked for it again as if he'd never done it. And Jesus answered them in verse 32. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So this is something that's, that's really important that, that we can often miss if we're not careful. What Jesus is doing here is he's contrasting this manna that God's people got in the wilderness with what God is doing now in providing the eternal bread, which Jesus is about to say, I'm the bread of life. But what we can easily miss is that what John is doing here as he's writing this story is he's actually showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises that God gave to Israel in the wilderness. In the same way that Israel received manna from heaven, Jesus fed the 5,000 people miraculously with some bread. In the same way that Moses ascended the mountain alone, Jesus ascends the mountain alone. And in the same way that Israel was brought through the water, Jesus came through the water, walked on the water. He's reenacting the Exodus story to show God's people and show his readers that God is fulfilling something that's pointing back to Moses, that that what Moses and God's people did pointed forward and Jesus is the fulfillment of it. He is this, this coming prophet, this coming king who's going to bring true deliverance to God's people. But he goes on, he says, he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus is contrasting the manna with the true bread from heaven, and Jesus identifies this bread as a person. Did you catch that? It's verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, so he's saying this, this bread, this, this thing that's going to fill all your needs is a person. And they miss it. Verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. They miss it again. They're thinking about a material thing and missing the spiritual truth. In the same way, when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, and he said, one must be born again. Nicodemus missed it. He said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus thought it meant actually being born again. And Jesus says, no, when the son of man is raised up like the, the bronze serpent in the wilderness, people will look on him and find salvation and be saved. Nicodemus missed it. He thought he was talking about something physical. Jesus again Said, if you tear down the temple, and he was in the temple, I will rebuild it in three days. And everyone around him thought that Jesus was talking about the physical temple, they missed it. And Jesus was talking about his own body. If you tear down this temple, God will raise it up. We are so blind, and what I want us to see is that without God's help, we are all blind every one of us, without God's intervention in your life, we are just as blind as the people in the scripture. We cannot see the truth of God without God's help. And he says as much in just a moment. He says, Jesus said to them, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Now, something I want to point out here in this verse, this is the first time of seven times in the Gospel of John where Jesus says this I am statement. And it's going back to Exodus when Moses meets God in the burning bush and he says, what's your name? And God says, I am that I am. And the Jewish people that Jesus is talking to picked up on that immediately. They knew that when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he's saying That this person who's bringing this eternal bread, he's referring to himself. And not only is he referring to himself as this person who brings this eternal bread, but he's also saying that he is God himself who has come down from heaven and is bringing this eternal bread, being this bread of life, God himself in Jesus. And they didn't understand what what he meant by that. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's meeting their true needs, not their physical needs. It's not about the bread. They don't need the bread. What they need is a Savior. Jesus understood that these people, without intervention, were going to hell. They needed someone who can break the power of sin in their life, remove the blinders from their eyes, keeping them blind to the truth so that they could see Jesus for who he really is and believe that what God has done has delivered them from sin and brought them from death to life. That's why Jesus says that he is the bread of life. He is the one who's coming to bring this salvation to them. He's meeting the real need that they had no idea they even needed. They only saw the physical. He knew they needed spiritual salvation. They wanted the bread. He was bringing salvation. And Jesus is the one who's going to provide this salvation. And life, He says, whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me shall neither hunger nor thirst, that he is going to fully satisfy the needs of their heart. This need of a savior, this need of fulfillment, this need of a purpose, this need of, of deliverance from guilt and shame. He is the one who's going to completely satisfy them and bring that to them in himself, he alone is enough and he alone is the one who can do it. The people don't have to clean their lives up. They don't have to earn anything. They don't have to achieve some standard of holiness or right doctrine. They only need look on Jesus and believe in him and trust that he is going to save them. And Jesus said, when they do so, they will be saved. They will be satisfied in the deepest longings of their heart, will be filled with the Spirit. Jesus himself will satisfy their every need so that they will neither hunger nor thirst for anything in life because of what he has done for them. And I want to be clear here. I'm not talking about meeting every physical need. You and I are both wise enough to know that we have suffered and we will continue to suffer in this life. We don't have every need met. We still get sick, right? Our friends still die. We still feel sadness. But Jesus is saying every spiritual need that you will ever have has completely been satisfied by him. He is the bread of life who gives us this eternal life. And he says in verse 37, all that the Father give me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. They believed in Jesus when they see the sign, but they didn't trust in what Jesus had done. All that the Father gives, I gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will never be cast out. So the question is, why did they miss it? And we've talked about this just a second ago. Why did they miss it? Well, Jesus actually answers this question in verse 44, if you want to look down the page with me. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This is something I want to point out, that Jesus is the one who's in charge of salvation. Jesus is the one who's providing deliverance, who's removing the scales from their eyes, who's bringing them out of darkness into light, from death to life, from slavery to freedom. See, under the power of sin, you and I are completely unable to come to Jesus we have neither the physical nor the spiritual resources to come to God on our own. That's why we need Jesus in the first place. If we could come to God on our own, we wouldn't need a Savior. But Jesus saves us from spiritual darkness, He has come to save us. All that the Father gives will come. So what God is saying in this passage and what Jesus is saying is that God has given Jesus a certain people and those who God has given to Jesus are going to come to him. They are going to believe and they are going to be saved. And so these people saw God and they didn't have faith and it was either because God had not yet saved them or because God was choosing not to those who have come to jesus are set free and so what god is saying is that all that the father gives will come whoever comes to me i will never cast out so those who come to jesus can never lose it any of us who have ever doubted our salvation can know completely that if we've believed in jesus that that is a lie We can never doubt our salvation because of what God has said here. Anybody who comes after Jesus can never lose it. We can never be cast out because we have believed. Anyone who comes to the Father can never leave him. Jesus says, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So Jesus is saying that I'm here, I have come to carry out this plan that God has. And this plan is to save all of the people that God has given me. And the people that God has given me will be forever secure, and I will raise them up on the last day. They have eternal security in the resurrection and eternal security in their salvation because he is going to ensure it. He's going to make sure that God's plan comes to fruition. And so he ends in verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And this again is this illusion that anyone who looks on the sun and believes should have eternal life. This again is that illusion to the Old Testament of the bronze serpent being lifted up. And whenever those who received a a bite from the snakes looked on that bronze serpent were delivered from death. And in the same way, when the Son of Man was raised up on the cross, anyone who would look on him and believe will receive eternal life. And so today I have three invitations for us. Three calls to come to Jesus. He says that he wants these people to understand who he really is to believe in Him, and to come to Him. So the first invitation is, if you have not yet believed, come to Jesus. I want us right now to take a serious look at your life. If you think about Jesus, do you believe Him or not? If you do, you know that you are eternally safe and eternally secure. But if there is doubt, if there is hesitation... Maybe it's time to pray and ask. Ask the Lord if you aren't sure to save you, to bring you in, to give you that gift of faith, to tear the scales from your eyes so that you can come and believe and receive this eternal life. The second invitation is this. Jesus says that all who come to him will never be cast out. That means that if you are a follower of Jesus today, you have the joyful opportunity to come to Jesus in joyful confession and repentance, knowing that you will never be cast away from him. We have no reason to hold on to secret sin. We have no reason to live in guilt and shame. He promises that if you will come to him In confession, He will not cast you out. He will not change His mind about you, but that He will love you and keep you and that He will deliver you from your sin. So today, if you have sin in your life, look in your heart and ask, is there something in my life? Is there an area in my life where I have been seeking my own needs and not asking God to fulfill it? where well, I've been working under my own power instead of God's power. We get that opportunity to come to Him in joyful confession, asking Him to remove it from us so that we no longer have to be under that guilt and shame. And third and lastly is that, again, we are like the crowd sometimes. Sometimes we can be so focused on our own physical needs that we kind of miss what God is doing and I want to invite you this morning to come and see what God is doing it's easy to look at the news and to look at everything that's going on to see the rising inflation prices and see how less our dollar goes at the grocery store and think only about our lives think about our needs I want to invite you this morning to ask, what might God be doing in that? What might God be doing in our days and time? And how might we be a part of it? Let us ask the Lord today, may we be the kind of people who look not to our own needs, but see what God is doing for His kingdom and ask the Lord how we can take part in what he's doing, and not miss it. So we have this invitation to come. And I want to end with this passage from Isaiah 55 that sums up this call to come. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, and then 6 and 7. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which does not satisfy? And your labor, or why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love to David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you have invited us to come. Father, if there is anyone in this room who does not believe in you, I pray that you would give them the gift of faith and they would believe today. That you would save them and that you would bring them out of darkness into light. Father, help us to repent of our sin. Help us to see that you will not cast us away, that you will never cast us out. But Lord, that you call us to joyfully come to you because you have already dealt with our sin on the cross. Give us the courage today to come to you. And may you shower us with your love and forgiveness when we do so. And Father, help us to see what is going on in our world and not to miss the signs of what you're pointing us to do. Help us to stay focused on your kingdom and on your mission. And not to only focus on our, spirit, on our physical needs, but to seek to meet the spiritual needs of our families, our neighbors, our enemies. Help us to give the kind of love to others that you have given us. Help us to show others the bread of life and to invite them into this life that we share. Father, I pray that you would change us this morning and let us not leave the same. pray all these things in your strong name. Amen. As we have our invitation, I want to invite you to ask the Lord what He might want you to do. Are you coming to Him in repentance or are you coming to Him asking what He can be doing for you or what we can be doing to help in His kingdom? I pray that right now in your, in your pew that you would sit and you would ask the Lord what He would have you do as we have our invitation.